Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps, the weekly podcast exploring the business of storytelling, where I interview many of the world's greatest marketers and storytellers to share their insights and ideas of how to put emotion into marketing. Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps. I'm your host, Brian Adams, and this week I was delighted to talk to CEO and co-founder of HubSpot, Brian Halligan. Many of you may already know that uh, HubSpot is the largest marketing automation software company in the world, and they're at the center of the inbound marketing universe, largely because uh, Brian and his co-founder, Dharmesh, well, they created it. They coined the phrase inbound marketing when they first conceived HubSpot. Brian talks about that and he walks us through his fascination with Darmesh's blogging skills back in the day and how they they use that to build the amazingly uh, engaged and thriving and growing uh, online community that they enjoy today. But we quickly uh, turn the tables. We talk about storytelling from a marketing point of view, but we we take that internally. So from a, a CEO's position. Um, we look at how Brian uses storytelling internally to maintain such a thriving culture, even as they grow um, to huge numbers all around the world. How he communicates, uh, keeps close to his team, um, and maintains brand uh, cultural values. And I can tell you firsthand that they, they definitely achieve that incredibly well. So if you're looking to learn more about uh, how to use stories to underpin your marketing, but also your team's culture, then I think you're going to enjoy this episode. So without any further ado, let's get into the show. Well, hello and welcome everybody. Uh, this week, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the CEO and co-founder of HubSpot, the inbound marketing uh, center of the universe, um, and the, the CEO is Brian Halligan. Hello and welcome, Brian. Thank you for having me, Brian. It's an honor to be here, my friend. <laughs> very good, very good. And um, usually, usually I refer to you guys as being uh, in sunny Boston, but um, Liverpool is five degrees warmer than Boston today, which I was amazed when I looked that up. So it's a bit, bit breezy over that side. It's chilly. Uh, it's typical Boston, cold, windy winter day. Never mind, never mind. Well, let's see if we can't brighten up your day, Brian. Do you know, um, you guys, um, you you guys coined and invented the term inbound marketing, which I'd like to explore a little bit. But um, the community has just grown to such in such a huge sort of size. Um, I guess that brings its own pressure and responsibility to sort of. Maintain, but let's start, Brian. Can you um, can you tell us the, the sort of story about how you how you started off? And um, and I'm really interested. Did you ever think that your community would grow to the size it is now? No, <laughs> we didn't. We we're absolutely honored to to have uh, the community we have, and uh, we we love them, and just are honored and and shocked and thrilled about it. Um, the way it sort of came up. What the inbound idea was I prior to doing HubSpot, I was a venture capitalist and I'd invest in startups and they would spend a ton of the money on marketing and they would spend it on different things. They would spend it on advertising, interrupting uh, people with ads. Uh They would spend it on buying a list and emailing people, interrupting them with emails and buying a separate list and, and, and cold calling people. 
they would do the big trade show and sort of grab people as they walked by. And they used, you know, very traditional techniques. And all of them struck me as being very interruption oriented in a time when humans seem to be becoming more and more immune to those interruptions, whether that's, you know, your DVR or whether that's caller ID on your phone or whether that's, you know, ad blocker or spam protection, that those, we started calling them outbound methods, seemed to be breaking and breaking more every single day. Uh Now, while that was going on, my co-founder, Darmesh, uh, uh, was blogging and he blogged his way through business school and I was watching his blog and I was enthralled by what was going on. He had, you know, 10, 100 times more interest in his crappy little blog than any of my wealthy (laughs) venture backed startups. And so I was like, Darmesh, what are you doing over here and how do I copy it? And so the way we started thinking about his blog was it was kind of doing the opposite. Instead of interrupting somebody, he was creating content. And he was pulling people in from Google and pulling them in from social and pulling them in through the blogosphere. And he was doing, we started calling it inbound, not outbound marketing. And he was matching the way he marketed to the way the humans were sort of moving and, and living and shopping and buying. And that, that's sort of where the, uh, the meme came up is we started calling it outbound. And then we're like, oh, it's kind of like inbound versus outbound. Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, when, when anyone starts a new business, um, it's hard enough to break into um, an industry or, or a sector, even if the, the audience is already educated and, and aware. But I guess whether it was a brave thing or a naive thing or, or what, you had to sort of educate a marketplace uh, and introduce a new philosophy. Uh, but still, still, you managed to grow numbers, um, looking back, fairly fairly quickly. And obviously, you know, it's grown exponentially now. So, um from a storytelling point of view and getting people to buy into your philosophy, what, what was your approach there? Okay, so we, this was one of our first real debates in the halls of HubSpot. And there were uh, just a few of us at HubSpot at the time. And we were trying to decide if we were going to call HubSpot an internet marketing software company or should we call it an inbound marketing company. And we went back and forth and back and forth on it quite a bit. Uh, the pluses at the time of calling it an, an internet marketing software company is those words mean something to people, and it makes sense. You don't have to explain it. There's no paragraph after it or elevator pitch. Whereas inbound marketing, people are like, well, what the heck do you mean inbound marketing? There wasn't an existing marketplace that you could kind of go into. You had to kind of make your own. Uh-huh. And we decided, obviously, to go with inbound versus internet marketing, and uh, the plus of that is uh, there was a couple of pluses on that that storytelling versus uh, the internet marketing storytelling. By calling it inbound, we could make outbound kind of the enemy in those early days and put kind of push our finger in the eye of the old school way and really embrace the new way. Okay. And when okay. you polarize like that from a storytelling perspective, particularly on the internet, it works really well. That polarization works on the internet. Hmm. Whereas maybe 5% of the people who heard the story said, God, he's right. I love it. That's exactly right. I couldn't agree more. Whereas 95% said the old man's lost his mind. That's never (laughs) going to work. In that type of, you don't, you don't need a hundred percent. You just need a small percentage that worked well. Now the reality of it was over our nine years at HubSpot, the number of calories we spent over those years, our marketing calories, 
I would guess about half the calories are spent on HubSpot marketing and half on that inbound meme. And so it hasn't come cheaply. You have to work at it and really push it. And you can't push it alone. You need a community to help push uh, push it with you. And you have to uh, nurture that community uh, pretty aggressively. Mm, and so that, that was a really interesting question you asked because that was our first big debate and our first big call. And, you know, we'll never know what would have happened if we called it Internet marketing software. But in, in retrospect, I think that turned out to be a really good decision to make a market versus enter another market. No, but it's, it's really cool, isn't it? Because basically you um... – you tapped into somebody's instinct to say, hmm, what the hell is that? So, you know, intrigue. And then it's the whole sort of Pepsi versus Coke thing, right? It's, you know, they, they say, don't they, have, a, have an enemy to focus on, you know, to polarize a community. You know, even if you don't uh, capture, you know, most of the market, you polarize and, and people start to buy in, which it leads me on to my next, um, my next point, Brian, um, because you've taken quite an innovative approach to selling Let's 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 be really brutally honest now and strip it all away. You guys sell software, okay? You know, so in the grand scheme of it, it, it some people would argue, I'm not one of them, but some people would argue it's not the sexiest thing out there to sell, right? But um, you've managed not only to engage and influence an audience, but, but you've turned uh, prospects and customers into fans, which which is no mean feat, really. So. You know, let's let's dig a bit deeper there. How do you think you've managed to cultivate a community of not prospects and customers, not not just loyal customers, but fans? What what's what's the ingredients and the secrets there? I I'm not exactly sure, but but I do think that that polarization worked. That people liked that we took a stand. People like that we look forward into the future and we got at least part of that future right. Mm -hmm. And so they think, okay, you've sort of got a perspective on the future that was unique um, and you were vaguely right about it. People like, I think, that our inbound story not only helps our customers acquire their own customers more efficiently and effectively and, and, and really works, but they do it in a much more lovable way. So it kind of stinks to go and cold call people and spam people and advertise people. It's just not a way you want to kind of, it doesn't feel good, you know, mm -hmm. where it's creating content and pulling people in in a natural way just feels like a more noble profession. And so I think some of those things added together, I think has added up to, to the message in, in the brand and the meme all kind of resonating mm -hmm. in us having some of that community outside of just our customers and partners of uh, of resonance, not just of the software and the value prop, but of our philosophy and what we stand for. Ah, okay, okay. Because I was going to say, speaking, um, you know, and and you know, just uh, full disclosure, I'm a gold partner of uh, HubSpot, you know, and uh, a huge fan. So, speaking as a user and an actual fan um, that I was talking about before. You know, we don't just talk features and benefits here. It's very much um, the philosophy of what you guys are doing um, and championing. And there seems to be like a, a higher purpose that people can buy into. Um, so just from a, a sort of stepping back, from a sheer business point of view here, Brian, leading, leading your brand forward, um, first of all, how important is it to establish a higher purpose and philosophy? Um you know, and I, and I guess, do you have any advice for businesses who are searching for their higher purpose and, and their, their philosophy? How, how do you start to craft that? 
I think it's becoming more important, particularly as the millennial generation grows up. They seem to be more attuned to that than, for example, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm 48. Uh, I feel like if your mission today is you're going to increase your profit margins by a penny a quarter by either gouging your customers or gouging the environment or the earth or gouging somebody. Um, I just feel like that's anathema to the current generation coming of age. Whereas maybe my generation didn't care as much what Exxon was doing for say, or what anybody was doing. Like you're a food company and they didn't care, you know, how you treated your cows when, when, when you ate the hamburger, you enjoyed the meat. This generation today cares deeply about how you treated that cow, wants to make sure you didn't put anti any antibiotics in that cow, make sure they didn't get growth hormones, make sure they could move around freely, uh, make sure that when they when they ate the grass and the hay, that the grass and the hay was treated properly, make sure they weren't brutally harmed. I think in all industries, people are starting to give a crap about the mission of the company. Yep. And it matters in their decision process, and they're willing to spend more for a company they believe in. And you see that with, with you know, Whole Foods, obviously, in that industry, and Campbell Soup yesterday just doing something very interesting around pulling all the uh, unnatural products out of their soups. You see it with Patagonia. And I just think I think that higher purpose matters to the new generation, whereas it didn't matter as much to my generation. Yeah, absolutely. And so if um, if there's other business leaders out there listening to this and they they wholeheartedly agree with you Brian uh, as I'm sure there are lots of but they are searching for their higher purpose what's your advice to you know whether it's sort of I don't know what you call it corporate soul searching how do you find that the higher purpose in your organization if you know if that's what you want to achieve I really don't know. Um, <laughs> I really have no idea how you would do it. I would say I would say what we have going on here is part of it comes from our culture. So we wrote down our cultural principles, and there's one of our cultural principles is SFTC, solve for the customer, which is basically code for don't screw the customer, don't gouge them on pricing. Don't do uh, opaque things to them. Like try to align your interests with them as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And so anytime there's a whiff of a decision that's floating around for our customers or our partners that smells of gouging or smells of you're not treating them right or you're not transparent or you're not fair, it's not just the CEO who would speak up. You're, you're, you're bound to hear about it from everyone. And if it's egregious, there would be a revolt on our hands. So it's sort of built into our DNA kind of from the ground up. Um, and uh, so that's a hard thing to replicate, I imagine. What yeah. we do do, though, is every year, the way we manage our company is we have one document. It's called an M spot. And the M is for mission. The S is for strategy. The P is for projects we'll fund. The O is for projects we'll omit. And the T is for stuff we're going to track. That M is really important. The mission of HubSpot is to transform the way companies market and sell to match the way humans actually buy. It's not just to grow. It's not to just to get profitable. We're hoping that's a byproduct of our mission, and we yeah. think it will be. But uh, it sort of starts with that mission. Yeah, well, you know, I think you've nailed it there. And, and actually, I was going to ask you about um, 
the the people and the team in HubSpot a little bit later, but it seems like a, a natural sort of um, a segue now, an, op- an opportunity now. I've got to tell you, Brian, uh, when uh, I came to Boston in uh, 2014, it was um, for, I've, I mean, I've been to your inbound conference a number of times. Um, it's a, an annual event that we absolutely love at, at PH. And but I've got to tell you, um, we at PH, we have something now called the Rachel Test. Yeah. <laughs> and the Rachel Test is after Rachel O'Higgins, who works in your um in your uh, island team in the marketing department, because we uh, we witnessed me and my partner Google Dave. Um, we witnessed Rachel handle uh, a situation in, um, in in Boston in in a really professional way. But actually, um, what she exhibited was just the utmost passion um, and pride of of HubSpot and the values and. Spontaneously, Dave and I, our part, my partner, we walked away and we just went, "Wow, that was incredible! Wouldn't it be great to have a team of Rachels in in our business?" So um, it was towards the end of the, the trip, and on the uh, the flight home from Boston to to Liverpool, we actually uh, scored all of our team against um, uh, our core values, and and we called it the Rachel Test. Our chairman knows about it; everyone knows about it in the business. It was it was incredible. Um, and it's a, it's a real thing. Everyone knows about the Rachel test in our, in our business. But the the interesting thing is, Rachel is a, a, a marketing exec in um, in your team in in Ireland, as I said. And uh, so she's not a marketing director. She's not you know. But wow, absolute brand passion. So we we were envious that day, Brian. What did she do? Uh, she she handled. Uh, we we somebody was quite rude to us in a. Um, uh, an event, uh, a venue outside the the conference, and um, she pulled them to one side, and she basically gave them a bit of a dressing down in a very professional way, saying, "Listen, you know, you're a chosen um, venue of uh, of HubSpot. We bring thousands of people to Boston. Blah blah blah. You need to treat our, our delegates with the utmost respect, and this, that, and all the rest of it. And you know, I don't know all this sort of uh, the, the specifics, but I tell you what, wow, we were so impressed huh. um, to the point where, as I say, we invented the Rachel test, and that stayed with us, and it has done for you know for for nearly two years now." Um, Love it, awesome. So it really is. It was incredible, and and since we've stayed in touch, and um, Kieran, your your marketing director in Ireland, you know, we're um, we became fast friends, and you guys, fantastic. So um, that that relationship has has blossomed as a result of of what we sort of saw that day. It was great. So so let's dig into that now, Brian. Um, you know, as the leader, right at the top, how do you instill that passion in? Let's face it, you've got a huge team. I mean, how how many are working at HubSpot now? I think it's like twelve hundred or so. Wow, it's incredible! Um, but you've managed that at scale, obviously. So communicating to a huge team—that's uh, some challenge, right? I mean, how how do you uh, how do you achieve that? Storytelling must be at the core there. You must have anecdotes, stories. How 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 do you do it? Okay, so two things there. One is is the culture in the Rachel test. The other is communicating uh, on the on the Rachel test. Uh, I actually don't know Rachel well, so I can't comment on her specifically. But what I can say is just like we spend a lot of time on our mission, we spend a lot of time on our culture and values. And we built a culture code. Uh, if, you, if you just Google culture code, you can find it. And it, 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 it's sort of our constitution, you know, how HubSpotters should behave. Uh, and it's, it's sort of a high-level document. 
but it gets into what we believe in our soul. It gets a bit into mission and how our employees should work and our empathy for the customer and how to do the right thing, stuff like that. And so what that does is it repels a certain type of profile and attracts another type of profile. We're weird in certain ways. <laughs> and we, we, we attract those other weird people. Um, we repel the people who look at that and think it's a bunch of hooey and say, I don't want to work at that place. It sounds a little crazy. And so that would be the thing I can say that sort of perpetuates the Rachelism inside of HubSpot. Um, I think that's that's a really cool story. I want to I'm going to tell other people inside of about that story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, it really it really resonated with us, obviously. But um, in lots of organisations, the brand values are you know those things that are, are listed on a poster on a wall. How, how do you bring them to life? You know, I mean, because your um, constitution, if you like, how how do you get people to to, to read it and um, and make decisions on a daily basis and live and live and breathe it. Most of the people who join the companies, we do ask this question of. We asked at our last company meeting. We said we we have all the new people stand up and they stand up and we say, how many of you were influenced by that culture code deck? And almost all of them had read it and were influenced to make their decision to join HubSpot by it. So that that deck is important. Um, in writing down your values, and, and, and they're important. We also happen to live by it. So if anyone's off message or off the culture code deck or not behaving in such a way, we put them on a culture plan, which is like a performance plan. Uh-huh. Um, we put the, the, the cultural uh, um, stuff inside of our annual review process. Um, we do a quarterly survey in front of all HubSpotters asking them, you know, a series of questions about their life in HubSpot. One of the questions frequently is, do we walk the walk on the culture code? Uh-huh. Um, every company meeting, my co-founder gets up and talks about, you know, a section of the culture code. So we're, we take it quite seriously. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you have to, you can't just talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. That's, I think that's the the issue a lot of companies get involved in. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier in terms of, um, you know, generation X, Y, Z, et cetera, in terms of like a new generation of people who um, expect more or more inquisitive, demand more. Um, we, we've certainly seen this over this side of the pond. would be interested to see what you think. Um, the, the, um, the opportunity to create... Um, material which is designed to both attract uh, talent to the business but also customers you know it's almost like a, a transparency thing you know that if the content is talking to both stakeholders that you that you're looking for do, do, you, do you see that there's an opportunity there because if if the if you're attracting talent and they've already done their research and seen um, your culture and that kind of stuff do you think there's a crossover and an opportunity to um, to tie those two things together? I do. I definitely do. I think it works. Uh, what we try to do, too, is create content specifically targeted. at. Po- we use inbound marketing, inbound recruiting to attract uh, employees. So that Culture Dex one, I just wrote an article. It's on medium.com now about everything I've learned about being a CEO in the last nine years. So we actually create content specifically designed to attract employees and we're pretty big and we're hiring a lot so that that's sort of something we have to do uh at our our scale but uh 
I think you're exactly right. If you're growing really fast, you can do inbound recruiting. And inbound recruiting isn't about reaching out on LinkedIn, isn't about cold calling people. It's about how do you create content that's a natural magnet that pulls them in and then pick the best ones. Absolutely. You know, we, we work a bit in the recruitment space and the the correlation between the two now, um, for us, we, we see it's, it's it's just growing, right? You know, instead of um, using these techniques to attract customers, you can use it to uh, attract the, the best talent. And of course, if it's proactive, then uh, you can ensure that they're a good culture fit as well. Just like with the persona mapping that uh, you guys advocate, uh, understanding your customer, you've, you've got to know the uh, the type of employee you're looking for because more and more now the, the culture fits really key yeah okay you asked me a good question a minute ago how do you communicate with so many employees and keep them on the same page uh-huh. uh the one thing that, that we don't underestimate is the power of a full hands-on company meeting where everyone's in the same room or on video conference and at one time we can tell a message that all of our employees will hear at the same time. There's no room for interpretation. And so we have one of those a quarter, and they are an hour and a half long. And we spend a t- like hours preparing for those. And my segment will be maybe 20, 25 minutes long. In mm-hmm. my segment, my co-founder talks about culture. I typically talk about the business and the future of the business. And when we walk into those meetings, we are very well prepared and we, I, when I think of it, it's like I want to paint a, a clear, crystal clear, technicolor clear, compelling vision of, of the future of HubSpot so people know exactly where we're going. My co-founder is trying to do the same thing on the people and, and, and employee side. And so those company meetings are a really, really key way for us to keep everyone on the same page. The other thing we do to keep everyone on the same page is we have an annual planning process we come up with that document I talked about earlier, the M-Spot, mission, strategy, projects, or missions, the tracking, and we roll that down. So I have one for the whole company. All my execs have one, each of the people who work for them, and then we make sure they all sort of roll up and foot with the main one. And that's a very helpful tool with keeping everyone on the same page. It also prevents the company from being guardrail to guardrail and changing its mind on a lot of things uh-huh. uh, because you put the emissions of the things you're not going to do. And so I'm a believer, Brian, that small companies and big companies, they usually die from overeating, not starvation. <laughs> I like that. Too many things. They fund too many projects and they go guardrail to guardrail and they never really nail anything. And I personally am a big overeater. I like to eat and I like new projects and I like new stuff. So in a way, this planning process in our M spot is a device to keep me from overeating. It controls my appetite. Um, and I suspect most CEOs out there have that same big appetite that I do. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult to say no. It's something you've got to learn. But keeping that focus, it's like... It's like uh, Steve Jobs with Apple. He stripped away hundreds of products and just focused on a handful, right? You know, and and you you guys have focused on your main product and you just deliver um, with absolute excellence year on year. It must be it's a, it's, it's certainly a, a heavy sort of burden to uh, you know to carry around in terms of you live on the bleeding edge of technology. You invented the term inbound marketing, so you guys have got to be the leading innovators every single year uh, to innovate at that pace. How much of it are you um, are you giving to your audience? You know the sort of uh, what what they want, what they ask for, 
um, should I say? And how much are you innovating, giving them something that they, they don't know they need until they, they receive it, if you know what I mean? How, 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 do you, how do you ensure you're innovating in the right way and staying on track? It's about, it's a good question. It's about 50, 50. Uh, if when we started HubSpot, we built what our customers asked for, we would have built them just a really fancy email marketing system. Um, so customers can typically give you what you need to build for the next year, maybe the next two, but they're not going to necessarily see around the corner. So we try to mix in a little bit of both and try to have sort of a portfolio of bets and you're going to be wrong on some of them, but it's, it's definitely a mix. Um, and customers just don't know what they don't know. Um, and it's our job to lead them. Now, we don't want to be 10 years ahead of them. We probably don't even want to be five, but we want to be a few years ahead. Because it takes a while to build products. You have to sort of have a cycle on all this stuff. But it's about 50-50. Mm. I guess it really is a balancing act of, of carefully listening. And also, you know, it's your job to be thought leaders. Um, and it's a continual, relentless pressure for you guys. But um, every year, you know, you go to that conference and you do this amazing thing of pulling back the curtain and everyone's like, wow, that's really cool. You know, that must be, <laughs> that must be tough. But um, how, how important is that annual event to, to you guys? Because again, it's an opportunity for your, all of your team to come together um, and spend time with each other and, um, and meet customers face to face. You have massive successes online. You grow a huge, um, you've got a huge audience on online, very engaged community, obviously. Um, you know, you're in the digital space, but how important is that face-to-face uh, opportunity and, you know, physical events? Because I think these days in the digital digital world, people neglect the basics of, um, of, of the, the simple marketing stuff like face-to-face and, and events. Inbound is incredibly important. To, to you, right? For a number of reasons, I would have thought. It is. And every year after we do the conference, we ask ourselves, well, <clears throat> should we just do this thing virtually next year? And we have a big argument about it every year. And every year we say, nope, we're not going to do it virtually. Uh, it's just not the same. Uh, because we, we like to think about the future. You know, are people going to do conferences in 10, 20 years? I don't actually think in 20 years people will have conferences. I think they'll be completely virtual. Do you think but so? I do. I think people will have, I think there'll be holograms or people will have on the virtual reality uh, headsets. And I think you'll be able to closely replicate that in-person experience. Uh, it's, it, I mean, you look at what's going on virtual reality, a lot of it's just around collaboration. It's in video games and collaboration. I just think it'll get good. But, but for- do, do you know, Brian, we, um, we met a lot of people for the first time. We've met a lot of people for the first time at your conferences that we, yeah. are, we are fast friends, you know. And so do you know what? I, I hope you're wrong. Well, we won't do it unless we can replicate the feel, and it won't be for a long time. But uh, we do it primarily for the exact reason you say. It's, not, it's a money loser for us. We don't make money on it. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, and we don't really – sell much software there it, it's really a community event and it's a, it's in it's for our customers and our partners and our community to come together and get to know each other and hang out and it turns out that is super valuable it's something we spend millions of dollars on lose millions of dollars on a year and we're likely to do it for a long long time um uh until you can put on a headset and it feels like you're in the same room with somebody yeah, but, uh, wow. it's it's hugely valuable for exactly the reason you're saying is is the, the the community members love to get together and talk. They like to talk about the software, but they also like to talk about the philosophy and they like to talk about the future and they like to learn. It's a learning community, so 
we're proud to be shepherds. I see ourselves as shepherds of a really cool community, and that this is our place where we pull the flock together once a year. So I, I love it. It's the best week of the year for me. Um, oh. It's a crap ton of work, but it's, but it's worth it. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, you know, if it wasn't for your conference um, – Dave and I, uh, my partner Google Dave, we wouldn't inv- have invented the six-second hug, Brian. This is the digi- digital hug. Uh, the six-second hug, it's uh, legendary now amongst um, about seven people. But um, we, we made so many new friends, um, you know, and I, I think I think part of the, um, the, the sort of the fan base, I, th- I, I would imagine you have customers and they go to that event and then they walk away fans because um, the other thing you bring – is thought leadership, and I go to, I go to uh, other conferences and other uh, sort of brand-led events, and for me, they make the mistake um, of talking about the product a little bit too much. But you guys, for a number of years, you've just added value, replicated what you do online, and bring people in that really make you think. How do you go about choosing your keynote um, speakers, Brian? Because you've delivered year on year there as well. Uh, that's interesting. That's a really interesting question. Um, we try to choose people that we want to hear ourselves. So it sort of represents what, what a typical, what Rachel would want to hear. Um, and there's, uh, in there, it's hard to describe it. There's a, there's a team that works on it. I'm not on that team. Actually, I suggest things to the team. I get a pretty low hit rate on my suggestions. <laughs> uh, cool. But the team is full of very forward-looking HubSpotters that tend to live in the future. They're millennials, and they're they're picking people who they want to hear from and they want to listen to. And it's a little bit like I talked about before. If we surveyed our customers on who they wanted to hear, and if you just look at the cycle, it takes about six months to get somebody signed up. We get kind of more boring speakers, more mainstream speakers. This is an edgier group that tends to think a couple of years out and then tends to be, you know, tends to do a good job of picking people on their way up versus they're already there and everyone's heard of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think you're right. I think they do an exceptional job of, of picking them. They often pick people I haven't heard of and they'll come over to my desk. And they'll tell me they're really excited about their signing someone up. And I'll pretend I'm cool and be like, yeah, that sounds like a great, <laughs> perfect. And then they're cool. I'm like, oh, that's who they are. <laughs> <laughs> Superb. Hey, um, Brian, just before we finish, um, I have a um, an apology to make, I guess, uh, because um, last time I was at the HubSpot conference, I walked straight up to you. I asked for uh, a selfie, and you uh, kindly obliged. But uh, <laughs> instead of a selfie with you, I um, I managed. I took the opportunity to take a, a selfie with uh, Romeo. So <laughs> it's one of my favorite pics of the uh, the conference. Uh, I've got to ask how how is your lovable dog doing? Well, he's sitting right here next to me. It turns really? out he's sound asleep on the ground. <laughs> he's listening, and and he's fascinated because usually when he sees me talking, there's somebody else on the other side, and so I think he's very curious about what's going on here as I'm talking into my computer screen. <laughs> well, I love the fact that you uh, managed to uh, weave him into your talks uh, most most years. How uh, how likely is it that Romeo will have his own Twitter handle anytime soon? Is that uh, is that on the on the agenda? Yes, yes, it just, it's on the list. I got to get to it. Romeo will, will, will definitely have a Twitter handle at some point. <laughs> Fantastic, brilliant, Brian. Well, that's been um, it's been really, really an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, I want to give the last word to you, Brian. Um, 
I've no doubt that everybody listening has already heard of HubSpot, but tell people where they can find out a little bit more about yourself and uh, and HubSpot. And um, if there's anything you want to draw our attention to, now's your, now's your chance. I'd tell you the people listening on the call are probably uh, real learner types, and we have a new, not newish site called inbound.org. O-R-G. Mm-hmm. Go check that out. It's new. There's lots of good information on there. I think people will really like it. If they're marketers and storytellers, that's a great place to hang out. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, uh, Brian. That was um, that was an absolute uh, pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we got some great insights there from a leadership point of view, a cultural point of view, but also um, you know how to uh, keep a community engaged. It's uh, it's no mean feat what you guys achieve. So uh, so thanks again for your time, guys. That's it for another week. Join me next time. I will see you then. Thanks very much. So that's it for another week. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you did, please feel free to subscribe or even check out our Getting Goosebumps marketing book available in Amazon. If you have any specific questions, you can also tweet us using the hashtag AskPH. I'd be delighted to answer your questions. Until next week, goodbye.